0: The surge in U.S. oil and gas production has been a game changer for our country and for the world. In this new world order, an entire new set of opportunities has arisen and Toral is leading the charge in attacking and shaping the future. Entoro is a Houston-based investment bank with a veteran team of oil and gas professionals. We have built the most technically advanced platform to transact oil and gas assets and raise private capital. Today's technology is so robust, it opens a whole new set of doors. We're busting down the barrier to private capital and have have a proprietary relationship with a family office network. Private capital will move quickly to seize the vast opportunities in oil and gas left by the exit of public sector funding. Cash, speed, and knowledge are king. We are sourcing financing for assets that can deliver a coupon plus growth, be it for oil, in gas production, oil field services or midstream projects. Welcome to the future of oil and gas in Toral Capital, where innovation creates opportunity.
1: And Mr. Dan Pickering, thank you for being here, man. This Happy is exciting. Uh, for us, it's our first time to sit down with someone of at your level of investing in the oil and gas. Now, For context, we are geoscientists. We're young geoscientists. We've been on the drill bit for the last five years of trying to unlock these unconventional plays, as well as just find a place in the Permian, the Midcon, the lower 48. Find a place to put a wellbore that's going to make more money than we spend. Mm -hmm. And we've been on the front lines of that, and we've made the discovery of... We got a lot of work to do. <laughs> it just is not working with the just wireline or our approach right now as geoscientists and engineers to make sure that we have completely de-risked the future wellbore that's being drilled. Not exploitation, but really an exploration, and extension of, of what's happening and, and reading into the data is really, really a challenge, really challenging.
2: And, Welcome and, to the oil business. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: how long have you been in the oil business? Let's, t- let's just
2: run that number off the top. I was a summer engineer for Arco Oil and Gas in, here in Midland in 1986. Let's go. That's and when I was born. Yes. So there you go. That makes me feel very old.
1: <laughs> so however how, how old you are,
3: come that's on, how I long I've been old, in the business. Uh, I don't
2: look old. I'm, I
1: could be 20. That's right.
3: <laughs> so so Arco is where you come out and where you start. That's do right. they
2: change you? Do you go to Alaska at all or do you? So yeah. So I was an intern in here in midland interned again up in anchorage and then spent went back there spent four years doing reservoir engineering so uh i worked the coparic field so prudhoe's little sister that's right
3: It's it's yeah to the east
2: uh southeast yes correct okay and so we were um we came after Prudhoe mm-hmm. and all those facilities had been put in place, the pipeline had been built and so as you guys know every everything else gets a lot cheaper once you've got that first right. big field and, and all the infrastructure. So oh, yeah. Spent four years in Alaska I can tell you that, that summer in Midland can be tough, but all the time in Alaska was, was tough for a <laughs> young guy. And so I was I was happy to to leave when I finally left. Beautiful place. <laughs> wow. just wouldn't want to live there for the rest of my life. And so when
1: you were going through undergrad and you were getting through and into that position, was it always a... Uh, did you have that set, that goal set? I'm going to get into ARCA. I'm going to get into oil and gas. I'm going to see what this is going... What's going on?
2: So, I mean, oil and gas was exciting at the time. You'd come off the, you know, kind of the big boom of the 1970s. And um, I loved math and science and wanted to be an engineer and... Um, Petroleum engineering seemed really intriguing mm-hmm. to me. And uh, did I have a goal of going to work for Arco? Not necessarily. I just wanted to kind of work in the business. And uh, they recruited on campus. Anchorage felt really cool mm-hmm. uh, to go work there full time, that biggest oil fields in the country at the time. And so to get that experience felt like it was going to be a you know, a really good opportunity. and and, and it was. Um, so I spent four years up there doing that hey wow. I mean you're you're paying your dues and then on top of that
3: you're learning internally what's going on in these companies and now the position you're in I mean from most investors that we've talked to working you know and at the our old job sure. I mean, we're talking mostly MBAs, money guys, you know, with zero oil and gas mm-hmm. experience. All they can see is that decline curve. Am I going to get my money back? <laughs> that's that's the bottom line for them. But actually having an understanding of what's going on internally at these super majors, how has that helped you as far as like picking and choosing different investments?
2: Yeah, I think it definitely, understanding risks, right? That's mm-hmm. what the investment business is all about. It's kind of what all businesses are that's all right. about, oh, is yeah. understanding risks. And when you have an appreciation for what you see in the spreadsheet or what that type curve, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into a type curve. Oh yeah. And so I think that being able to figure out, you know, what makes sense, what feels like it's been exaggerated, et cetera. Yeah. You know, I think so that what's helps. What's your, you. what's your B factor there? <laughs> right, right, <laughs> exactly. So um, it helps. Yeah. Now I'd be the first to tell you that um, this is a much different oil business than the one in the, you know, Late 80s, early 90s. And so I always joke that you would not want me on a well today, but it, <laughs> when you're thinking about where to invest, it's, it, and I mean, it helps to know how the business works.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Yeah, you lived through that transition. That's your your professional career is that transition from knowing what was happening in the 80s, 90s, to then turning into how do you invest into the future mm-hmm. of this business. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So if I can re-cage that conversation just for a second, I feel like... Your experience and the timing of you getting an ARCO engineering uh, intern position, going to Alaska and being put on the little sister, as you put it, of Prudhoe Bay, and you didn't go into an operation and facilities that were being created. You were going into a process that was being optimized by the creation of Prudhoe Bay. That's right with that experience you now have a degree in optimization of facilities and operations and you move forward with that skill set and that you build off and got an MBA you realize you can optimize everything in the oil and gas I bet I mean you maybe is that what you think led to to near success after that
2: Um, so I think that when you're 22 years old you're putting building blocks together I, I wouldn't say that any one specific thing turns you into an expert that allows mm-hmm. you to, to go on and be successful. I think that um, working through what I would call the tough times of the early 90s in, in the oil patch, mm. um, it, you've got the technical understanding, then you've got kind of the reality of what the business looks like and how it works, and you get an appreciation that being an engineer and understanding how things work is fabulous, it's all got to make money. It's right. It's all mm-hmm. got to fit within the context of you know the broader business, and so I think that would be the the key takeaway. Um, I, I wouldn't. I would say it. It was a great start, but you got to keep building on that. Mm-hmm. Right on.
1: Wow. Major mentors or, or significant significant events that uh, that really propelled you through this? Do you have anything off the top of your head that could, just stands out?
2: Yeah, so um, two or three. Indulge me. I'll be quick on each. Um, my grandpa started wow. a telephone company in rural Missouri in the 1950s, and so he was very much an entrepreneur, and so I, I feel like I learned a lot about business from him. Um, one of the guys at Fidelity, when I went there out of business school, um, longtime fund manager, he, he runs the Contra Fund, guy named Will Danoff, really helped me understand, he really brought it home, invest in companies that grow their earnings. That was a mm-hmm. really very simple, but figure out who's going to make more money and invest in them. I think that was <laughs> really uh, simple and, and yet helpful. And then, um, you know, when I made the move to, to come down to, to Houston from Boston, I uh, worked with Matt Simmons for seven years. Uh, Matt was, uh, you know, kind of a an icon of energy investment banking, particularly on the oilfield service side. And so I would say all of those guys were, were definitely influential in crafting how to think about things, both investing and the energy business.
1: Right on. That was a really good little yeah. recap of that. That transitions us and points us and narrows us down right into the fact that there's Pickering Energy. I mean, that is that's that's an amazing accomplishment Thank without you. even understanding the details of the story just reading the synopsis you get on the on the website there we go <laughs> uh th- it's fascinating and it's an honor to sit down with Dan Pick picking yourself and uh and and how did you do that I mean, it sounds like it's got to be a story of perseverance and uh <laughs> and fighting and and making that happen and that i think is inspirational H- how did this go
2: how did we get there um so 2004, okay. having worked at Simmons and Company for Matt Simmons, I think I decided, I was able to figure out that having your name on the door was a pretty good deal. And so at the time, uh, I'd been a, a sell-side research analyst for a number of years, and I, th- I thought that the timing was right to sort of step out on my own have my own name on the door because the business was Pickering Energy Partners 15 years ago. Um, there was a kind of a growing movement for independent research not associated with 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 an investment bank. And so uh, along with a few key partners, uh, I started that business. And um, the great news is that your relationships travel. And so I'd had a number of clients and friends in in the business that supported us as we started the new company. And I think that was super helpful. Wow. Had, had been in long enough to be established, knew enough people that that were willing to give us a shot. And so we, we were lucky to get clients early. Wow. And then as you strep- step through the ensuing years, you know, the relationships that you develop and the decisions you make. So in, in 2007, Uh, I got together with Bobby Tudor and Maynard Holt, and that's when we formed Tudor Pickering Holt. And they built out the the investment banking side of our business, and and I ran the research business. And, I mean, your partners are critical. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've had a relationship for the past 15 years and uh, continue to have a great relationship today.
3: So, So not to stop you, but can you explain the difference between the
2: research side and then the investment banking side? You bet. So... The simple answer is: is research is about figuring out when you're looking at public companies, buy, sell, or hold. Do I want to mm-hmm. own Exxon? Do I want to sell Exxon? Um, there's a a huge cadre of of institutional investors who don't have the time to to look as deeply into any given industry, and so they rely on research analysts to do that. Mm-hmm. So. That was the business we started in 2004. In 2007, I got together with Bobby and Maynard. They'd been doing transactions. So investment bankers help companies either sell assets, buy assets, merge their company, raise money, and um, the intersection is that public companies are trying to raise capital from institutional investors, pension funds, et cetera, and to do that... Um, a lot of times, they they want to feel like they're involved with experts, and so um, the expertise of the research business combined with the transaction side of the business—that's how you wind up helping companies raise money. Wow. Okay. Right on. So that was that's you know a business that we built starting in 2007, and Bobby Maynard done a fantastic job. got fabulous market share in. In that area, we've done a ton of transactions, a bunch of stuff out here in the Permian, and um, you know, so it's a it's been a great partnership. Wow! And that is
1: perfectly segue-, segue to your short presentation and get into the details and really get a talk to you about how you approach the Permian Basin. I mean, it's going to be fascinating for us on the geoscience side to understand what is it that uh, appears to be making the most money. Uh, how do you de-risk this thing? Calculated risk, and we get that, and uh, that's going to be really, really cool. So we'll we'll go into the drill down segment section of this podcast where we talk about Pickering Energy Partners, how you invest, the the, the thought process of de-risking things, and making sure you're making more money than you, than you spend.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and uh, and I know there was there was a there was
2: a breakfast or There was some event that was happening. Well, what was that? What, we had a forecast breakfast today. So every year for the last. Nine we've come out to Midland and kind of shared our thoughts on what's going on in the oil patch, why we are, where we are, and what the next year or two look like and so we had that forecast breakfast today and um it's always you know end of the year is a good time to reflect on what the what's happened and what's yeah. going to happen as we look ahead so it's been a it's always in uh, ahead of our Christmas party, so nine years of having Christmas parties as well and uh it was a it was a good one again today wow you gave the presentation i did
1: wow right on you still saved your voice for us that's right you <laughs> <laughs> got it uh-huh. okay that's awesome man is it, are you going to touch any of that because that sounds like a fascinating little talk did you did you bring a little bit in that so case? i don't have that
2: here but i'll i'll weave some of it in right on perfect okay. right on good so for our drill down segment what i thought to talk about is what we're doing in the Permian and with our investing business. And so I think a key to how we see the world today is that if we think about the shale revolution in the last 10 years, okay.
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, it's been about trying to figure out what that opportunity set looks like. So we start drilling horizontal wells, big fracks, and then the question is where, where can we do it? How big is the opportunity? And so it's basically been, you know we've spent a decade grabbing acreage Drilling wells, figuring out what our optimal com- completions look like, et cetera. So, we spent a lot of time oh. drawing the box, for instance, around the Permian. Oh. What's the boundaries? Mm-hmm. Where do things work best? So, that's been wildly successful. Uh, a couple million barrels a day of production here out here has gone to five million barrels a day. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but from a macro perspective, it's also created a lot of supply globally in the oil price is not as good as it was. And so we're sort of entering, in our opinion, the next phase of what happens out in the Permian, which is how do we optimize and develop these assets that we found? Mm -hmm. So at the micro level, at the geoscientist level, it's, it's, you know, what's that rock look like foot by foot by foot? Uh, You know, you start moving up and it's, okay, how many companies do we really need To develop these assets. Mm -hmm. Um, Who's the best at it? How much Mm -hmm. money do we spend? How quickly? And so we think the world's changed from money plowing in to, you know, drill one well per section, hold wells and flip it to the next guy. Now it's about developing the Mm -hmm. asset. And so the question for us was, how do we deploy capital in this environment in a way that doesn't look like everybody else that uh, can you know, make money for our investor base, and so we felt as we entered kind of this new development phase that that there would be opportunities driven by the fact that we're five years into a downturn, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and and capital's getting harder to come by. Oh yeah. So oh, yeah. Public markets aren't giving people money, no IPOs, no secondary offerings. Banks are tightening their uh, lending requirements. Private equity, which had been throwing money at portfolio companies, has started to say, wait a second, um, let's slow down. Mm -hmm. And so companies are going to have to operate – as real businesses as opposed to transactions. Hey, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll jump in, spend three years doing this and sell it to the next guy. Now it's how are we going to build a company. Wow. Yeah, we saw that a lot this year. I mean,
3: as far as like how flooded the market was with all these different assets that were up for sale because yep. I mean, we sure. were reviewing different assets every other week and we're yep. just like, wow, what's going sure. on? And yep.
1: Well, I would argue that that box that was being built over the t- past 10 years, if, if you looked at the profit gain, the net profit of that box would probably be in the black? Maybe. A- absolutely. I think that, you think so? Absolutely? The, the, thing, the thing that's tough <laughs> is,
2: again, five years into a downturn, yeah. when the game has changed a little bit, it's hard to remember that 10 years ago, almost all these companies were a lot smaller. So if we went from 2004 to 2014, yeah. shale added billions and billions and billions of dollars worth of value to, to these public companies and, and to private companies. Mm-hmm. From 2014 to now, oil prices gone down. Sure, Buyer universe has started to shrink. And so the value's down from the peak, but it's way up from where it was yeah. 10 years ago. Sure, so that's a good way of looking at it. No question there's value added in this. Yeah. But there's also been, for the last three or four or five years, there's also been kind of this realization that we're going to have to do it better that's right to have another step function in value. Oh yeah, and I'd
1: say I like the way you say it makes me feel like there's a transition being built. It's not that we can get better because I don't think we can today. If we just put more money into it, we can just put more wells and increase oil production, but not our performance. Our performance is not getting better. It's it's not even plateauing. It's actually I think trending worse. And when you look at uh, horizontal wells and uh, and what's happening in this game. So this transition, and that's what I th- I'm getting from this conversation. You're talking about making a transition in how to invest into this box, mm-hmm. and you're building the transition. You're out there running this we're, thing. You're paving we're, the
2: road. We're trying to. You got this. We're trying to. And so, as we looked at, as we looked at 2019 and 2020, and where do you really want to put money to work? What we said is we think that rather than grabbing something to flip it, right? the real answer right now is, is how do you own assets that are cash flowing? That's right. Mm-hmm. And um, what we've seen from you know, around the country is that cash flowing assets in, in a world where there are fewer buyers and a little bit of supply demand imbalance, that the value of those assets has come in, which means the return opportunities are going up. Sure. So typically in the oil and gas business, you, you know, you, you pay for approved reserves. You might pay a 10% discount rate, PV10. right? And we're seeing that that's now starting to expand. You get 15, a higher return, PV13, 14, 15. 16. 16. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so what we said is if we can come to one of the best basins in the world and get a 15% return on our money, and we can hedge that, reduce our risk because we can go out with a, a producing asset, look at look at the production profile, hedge that forward production, We're lowering our risk. Mm-hmm. And so
1: what's the uh, timeline? What's the timeline? On yeah,
2: this? so so the way we think about it is is we're going to spend money as l- long as we can can generate those kinds of returns. we'll We'll put money to, to work. We think about and this is really important. I don't know what the time frame is. The great—I don't know when I can sell it to somebody else, but what I know is I can sell it every day to the oil market, right? I mm-hmm. mean, we're producing right. these assets, yeah. and, and so if I can—and and I say I—an important component to us was, um, you know, we sit in Houston. Uh, w- we wanted to partner with somebody that was in the thick of it out here in the Permian, and you know one of the ways to be successful is associate yourself with people that are smarter than you are. And so we would had a long relationship with the folks at Henry Resources. Wow. You know, they've been here in the Permian for oh, fifty years, yeah. celebrating oh, yeah. the fiftieth anniversary this year. And they're moneymakers, proven track record. Yeah. they know the Permian. and so we we've known them for the last decade, and we started talking about, this concept of buying proven producing assets. They liked it. We liked it. We said, let's do it together. Wow. And instead of just buying, you know, we want to operate these assets so we can hopefully keep costs low. The Henry's have done a great job of that over time. And so the concept that we developed was, let's buy the asset. We'll operate the assets Mm -hmm. together. We'll hedge the production so our cash flows are safe. And then to make sure that our investors are making money, getting more money back than they put in, we're going to distribute that annual cash flow back out. So rather than drilling a ton of wells, Mm -hmm. we're giving at least half the money back to our investors that we generate on an annual basis. And so it's kind of a yield play. So in a world where... You know, half the world's got negative interest rates and ours are, you know, 1.5%. If we can give somebody a 10% dividend yield on the way to a 15% total return, that's, I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer. That's, yeah, it's fantastic. Kind of a no-brainer. And so... Where do I sign up? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, but but remember, the reason the opportunity exists is Mm. because not that many people want to sign up. Because it's the oil and gas business, oh, yeah, and you're right. five years into a downturn, and prices yeah. are yeah, down. Good and, reason but, to
3: be scared. But yeah, but like you were
2: saying, that proven production, that
3: PDP, that value, you're getting money coming into the or into the tank the second you bought that asset, That's right? right? opposed to, hey, fifty thousand dollars an acre. You know, we're in the heart of this play. We have to put in a hundred million dollars before we even see
1: a cent
2: back. That's exactly
3: right. So I mean it. I, I it. think it's the future That's right it. now. Yeah,
1: we saw yeah. that. I think I think we saw that model developing uh, yeah. in the pa- in the past six months, yeah, eight months. Uh, so, do you go into Henry's kind of high level the, the the history of how he actually became successful? Because I I, rem- I have. An idea based off me not asking questions, <laughs> but I've I've seen Henry floating around the Midland Country yep. Club, and I'm I've met I think I've shaken his hand anyway. Uh, seems like a really really cool guy and really easy to easy to talk to, and and uh, and I want to say it was that he he had a good position of the Sprayberry
2: and sold a big chunk of acreage to Concho. That's right, that's right. So if you look at at the history of the business Jim started fifty years ago. Uh, he was a consulting engineer. Then he said, rather than consulting, I want to be in the business. And so he developed an oil and gas company. And I think um, if you look back, the they were early. Vertical Wolfberry um, started developing that place, saw it going horizontal. And I think Jim and his team have done a great job of identifying so, – so importantly – Right. How do you become an expert? You do something for a long period of time. And so they've developed this expertise. They haven't tried to stray beyond the basin. They, they don't go out and, mm-hmm. and drill wells in the Bakken or the Eagleford. They're Permian players. Know what you know. and Exactly. And so when this place started to develop, I think the other piece of it was Jim knew the kind of company that he wanted to have. And so um, it had been a, a family owned and operated business. It had gotten larger. And I think he felt like he was better as a smaller company entrepreneur. And so he had this incredible asset at a time period where people were paying up for incredible assets. And Damn. so he sold. And and the company's done that two or three or four times over the last fifteen years. No
1: kidding. Last fifteen years, two three times.
2: And I wouldn't say they didn't top ticket every time and they yeah. didn't they didn't come back in at the exact bottom. The whole point is hang around the hoop when things get fairly valued, be willing to let assets go when Mm -hmm. things get cheap, be willing to stay back in, you know, jump back in. And so we were really encouraged that they like this idea because they've had a long history of kind of figuring out when's a good time to deploy capital.
1: Man, I love that analogy. If you said or "hang around the hoop," is that a basketball? That's analogy? a basketball term. Yeah. Yep. So he's looking for easy
2: layups and letting people shoot the That's right.
1: shoot the threes. That's <laughs> right.
2: Gra- grab rebounds yeah. and make you know easy baskets. Hell and yeah. That that implies that this is easy to do. It's not right. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think over the last you know twenty five years, these guys have gotten real good at. Sticking to their knitting, buying mm-hmm. opportunities, drilling wells, keeping a team together, exactly developing good technical expertise. Wow, solid contacts, yeah. all of that. And so we're just now starting this process. So in September we launched this uh, this effort to to go out and, and buy these PDP assets. I think one important distinction is given that we're not reinvesting a bunch of cash flow. We'll drill some low risk. Proven undeveloped wells mm-hmm. or locations, but um, we're probably not going to be the buyer of core of the core type assets because all those undeveloped locations, they may not be worth the sixty or 50000 that they were trading for three or four years ago, but they're not worth zero. Mm-hmm, and sure. so we're, nobody's going to sell us PDP assets and give us those pud wells for free mm-hmm. in the core of the core. So we're going to be out on the fringes of the basin for the most part. Buying assets that were probably very economic at seventy five or eighty dollar oil, but you're not going to drill much at fifty or fifty five. And so that the cash flow is really all that you're buying there at mm-hmm. this point in time it gives us some nice optionality down the road. If prices were to increase, those locations will become more valuable, but they and don't I'll, have to be. There. And
3: I was going to say as, these core assets are beginning to develop. We see these operators moving closer and closer to the fringes. So yep. it's just they're going to run out of running room eventually, and they're just going to be buttoned up right next to you again. What and, are they going to buy? Yeah, what are they going to buy? What's what? what's going to be that next spray berry, that next <laughs> concho thing?
2: Yeah, yeah. And, and that will come – that's going to come when things – improve mm-hmm. uh, I think the opportunity exists because folks are getting a little discouraged and they're either you know where are we going to get these assets it's going to be from folks who are who are consolidating and have non-core properties it's going to be from companies that have um, great drilling opportunities but are cash constrained so maybe they have to sell some of their their cash flowing assets to get you know a, a multiple of their money there so they can go drill those high rate of return. Um, wells closer to the core. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a number of different people that are probably willing sellers here. But, um, you know, we're, we're just now, we're just getting going.
1: I'm so excited <laughs> for you, Pickering Energy, and what Henry Petroleum is going to do. You have bought yourself time at the same time. PBE Podcasts and all of our following and everything that we're doing on the geoscience and engineering side is getting better. We're gonna get drastically better and it's gonna happen quick. Drastically better and it's gonna happen quick. You got to follow this story, Dan. I'm not I I love the PBE, I'm biased, but there's something happening here and people are engaging. Mm -hmm. And we're going from one thousand barrels a day IPs to five to ten. Mark my words. In the next five years Your extension of a sweet spot is actually going to be figured out in a different way, and you're going to be stimulating these reservoirs Mm -hmm. in a a slightly different way. This slick water 100 mesh is just the beginning. We've stumbled our way into the slick water 100 mesh, and now what we're seeing is little tweaks Mm -hmm. to the stimulation. And if you understand your rock, if you're doing the geoscience and you understand where you put that wellbore relative to how to stimulate it with the right chemistry, you have a sweet spot. You have acreage that's worth more than we believe it's worth right now. Guaranteed, Dan. You're, it's going to be extremely successful, and that's why I'm so excited to see this happen. When you were speaking, I was just like, Whoa, this is going to be an unbelievable yeah, yeah. success story.
2: What's, what's interesting, Troy, is is what you're describing would sort of be the history of the oil business, and Permian Basin in particular, right? You start with, with how we drilled wells and completed wells 50 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, the industry's done a great job of getting smarter and better. And Mm -hmm. now we've got a lot more resource to try and figure out. And so, you know, it's, that's your day job, right? The Mm -hmm. day job is how do you take what you got and make it better? Yeah. And
1: we're going to drill. Sorry to interrupt. No,
2: no, no, no. no. I was just going to say it's that's been the history of the business. And you always think that's hard or that's impossible. We're doing stuff that 20 years ago people would say is impossible. Yeah. So the question is what can we make possible over the next five years? or? Let me ask you this.
1: I'm going to put you up against the wall a little bit. Let's take one, let's take five square miles of your acreage right now where you know, there's a horizontal play and you know, it's going to be developed horizontally five years from now. In a five mile by five mile radius, how many horizontal well bores do you think is going to be inside that block? And how long are your well bores? Because I will challenge your answer either way. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so that's it. He's it's leading a the witness, yeah. Your Honor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you going to have 100, five? Um, I don't have a good answer for that question. Right now, we're going the opposite direction. Whatever you assumed. It's fewer wells, not more wells, right. because mm-hmm. of this parent-child issue that's that's developing. Um, and then the question would be, what we know is the industry seems capable of drilling effectively and completing effectively 10,000-foot laterals. We can drill 15, but what I hear from a lot of folks is those 15,000-foot laterals are maybe not as productive, and, and you don't get to leverage that extra you know, 5,000 feet as, as well as you can that first 10,000 feet. So, so my answer is going to be 10,000-foot laterals, and I don't know the number of wells, but I'm dying to hear your answer on what it's going to be.
1: Here's my prediction of what your five-by-five five square miles is going to look like in five years from now, and we're going to come back to this episode, and we're going to, we're going to talk about it. I think what you're going to have is something more like 10 to 20 wells, that are about 2,500 to 5,000 feet max. And what you've figured out, what your geoscientists and engineers identified, was that this unconventional play is mostly impermeable mud that contributes zero Mm -hmm. to the wellbore. And we have these lenses of deliverable rock And it's not about the idea of drilling as many as we can in 10,000 feet and fracking into what we think is there. We don't know which direction they're in. We're going to have the resolution and the geoscience, the the model, right. And we're going to figure it out. And it's all about landing it in that zone. It's not 10,000 feet long. Maybe it's only 2,000 feet long. Maybe it's only a football field. But it contributes major hydrocarbons to the wellbore. Your IP in that rock alone. You can't combine that rock with a bunch of shit rock, especially if the bad rock is connected to a depressured zone, and it's thieving. Hmm? It's stripping it out. It's drinking it and giving it to the neighbor or wherever it's going. (laughs) We don't know. But that's where the future is going to be. The future is going to be precision beating power. And timing is going to be uh, much more powerful than speed. You're not going to go out there at $120 oil and drill a thousand wells. That's that doesn't make it makes money because it's $120 oil. But what makes more money is timing the stimulation correctly. At the same time, you have $120 oil and you have two well bores outperforming your neighbors' ten. Mm-hmm. That's the future and and. Henry's going to do it, and a lot of others are going to do it, too. The, pe- the industry is changing. We are drilling less and getting more, 100%.
2: So it's, the, it's, it's essentially smaller wells but bigger wells, if that oh, makes any yeah. sense. You're, it's You're, precision. It's, it's going to be pinpoint, and That's right. your, your fracks are going to be more effective. Oh, yeah. Really
1: precise. Real near, near well bore inside the thing that is contributing the
2: hydrocarbon. It that's it, that's the facts. So, so, let me ask a question on that. If you can draw, if your laterals aren't as long, yep, assuming that there's a reasonable amount of homogeneity, there we go, I got to use one of my engineering <laughs> yeah. words. Let's go. <laughs> assuming there's a reasonable amount of continuity on that acreage, wouldn't that argue for shorter but more wells? If, I mean, if you're If you're really hitting all those lenses, and those lenses are Mm -hmm. pretty evenly dispersed across your acreage, wouldn't you want to drill more shorter wells, not fewer shorter wells? Or or you're saying you can drain just as much reservoir with fewer wells? Ooh, I like this. That's a really good
1: question. If you first identify the lenses and first drill a pilot hole and actually do the geochemistry that's needed... the the elemental makeup of these rocks and understand what's contributing the hydrocarbon to the wellbore. If you do that and and you do it successfully through geophysical tools and you can map where those lenses are, you are going to identify that some rock is going to contribute way more than the other. So now you have a competitive edge of what the future looks like. You drill your good stuff. Your other lenses appear to be just as good. So you have a good sellable package and you start with this precise drilling slow money makers over time. Okay. And you're, you're getting great returns and you're building a product that looks like a five by five mile block that you can do this all over the place. You have lenses all over the place. You just got to get down there, look at the data, realize what you got and stimulate it correctly. And we're going to do that. It's totally changing. More science. Oh, and it's ex- inexpensive. It's not expensive. We're not coring this stuff. You do this with cuttings now. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Because mm. cuttings, we can do XRF gamma ray. Okay. And so when we drill, we have a gamma ray tool that's telling us where gamma ray was, and that's really accurate to the wire line. So now with XRF gamma ray, you're taking those packages of 10 to 15 foot cuttings. If you're, if you're sampling correctly, you're doing it as fast and frequent as possible. You put everything on XRF gamma ray back tied to the wire line. So now you know exactly where those things came from. Mm-hmm. And now when you start studying that stuff relative to someone like Skip's in the room who knows the geology and really understands the structure that's driving it all, and you have it in the seismic data, you see it in the seismic data, you make predictions of what's driving it. He's, he That's what he does. His thesis did it. You look at the geochemistry and you say, that's it. That's our A. That's our B. That's our C. Let's go prove it. Don't go land past it. Don't land next to it. It's all about getting everything on depth. It's a really, really difficult challenge to get all the software and all the data put points back in georeference together. That's really, really challenging. But you can get that well bore back into yeah. that zone, and you can make these massive wells.
2: You heard it here first, 5,000-barrel IPs, 10,000-barrel IPs, yeah. you said. <laughs> five years. What, that, well. Within five years, no question okay. about it. That'll be awesome. I'll send an alarm on my phone,
1: dude.
3: Let's do it. <laughs> I'm gonna email you five years
1: <laughs> from now. I might be in from a laptop off the side of the street somewhere, <laughs> but it's true. It's true. These IPs are happy. These these good wells. There's already really good wells, but it's it's with uh, slick water hundred mesh, and, and big powerful fracks, and they're just blowing things up, and and uh, and it's doing well. But most of them aren't doing that well. It's a lot of brine in this. A lot of a little bit of oil, thousand barrels, and then eight thousand barrels of brine. That ratio is going to balance itself, and if not, get the other way. We're going to figure that out yeah. because we're understanding the the elemental world better.
2: Well, you're right. When we when we do that, as you get smarter, everyone's existing assets get more valuable. Yes, mm-hmm. right, or more competitive. Sure. So yeah. at the same oil price, you make more money, or you know you can you can produce more at 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 higher prices. So, and and that's. That's optionality for us in what we're doing out here with our, our strategy. You know, we'd, we'd love the assets to get more valuable. We're making the going-in assumption that they don't. If we, if we buy these things and produce them, that those... As long, those, as, you,
3: as, long as we hedge it right away... That's right. That's then right. it's going to make its money back regardless. That's sure.
2: go, that's gonna, that, protects, that protects our cash flows, which we've promised to our investors mm-hmm. who are not trying to get a 10-bagger... Mm-hmm. They're trying to make fifteen percent because wow. their money in the bank makes them a point and a half. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to give them a be, a lower risk, you know, alternative to the oil and gas. exploration wells, but fabulously better than what they're doing in you know putting their money in the bank. And 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 that's something that um, you know we're excited about. We've Absolutely. got we've got a lot of capital to deploy, and so. You know, right now we're out knocking on doors, telling people what we're doing, and you know we think this market is coming toward us. As mm. as folks, uh, you know, the deeper into downturn you get, the more people are thinking about what assets they should be focused on and what assets they're willing to sell, and we'll be there to buy them. Right on!
1: I think that model's great.
2: I, I love it. I was
3: going to say because I know some people that are they love hedging, and then I know other people that are absolutely against it. It's uh-huh. it's like the worst thing that... Th- it's like when you say that word, they cringe a little bit <laughs> right? on the inside. <laughs> right. So when you're going through the process of, all right, you with the PDP and the value of oil at, you know, X amount, right? Mm-hmm. So is how long of a process did that take you guys to calculate? Because you're looking at a bunch of different assets, right? It's not just you're buying up one big package, so you need to calculate this out for, you know,
2: five, so I don't know how many assets sure. you guys purchased yep. in this deal, but... Well, so I- if we think about... You know, we've got roughly $500 million to deploy, which Mm -hmm. is a lot of money in the grand scheme of shale and the Permian. It's not a lot of money, Mm -hmm. but um, we think about doing transactions, 25 to $75 million in size. So we'll probably do 10 or 15 deals. Mm -hmm. You've got to look Mm -hmm. at them each separately, but they roll up to create your production profile. And, you know, what we've said is... We don't want to roll the dice on oil price. I, I'm, I'm bullish on price from here. I mean, mm-hmm. low 50s, the best basin in the world barely makes enough money to generate a return. So, if the best basin's barely making money, then this is not the right price long term. Longer term, we're going to see higher prices. But we don't want to make that price bet because yeah. if we can make a 15% return without hey, making a price bet, that's the win. We'll, we'll win. Yeah. When you look at public companies, I think it's a little bit different. Exxon doesn't hedge. Mm -hmm. Exxon doesn't hedge because their investors invest in them to own the oil business. And they're big enough, they've got a downstream business, et cetera. So I think Mm -hmm. that hedging decision is very much a what's your risk tolerance and and what kind of exposure – are your investors looking for? Yeah, sure. yeah, their break-even point is totally different
3: compared Correct. to anyone else, right? That's because right. owning, you know, the upstream, midstream, right. and downstream, it's
1: you know <laughs> that's that's a whole nother wild. rabbit yeah. hole to go down. But yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> get another guy
3: on to
2: talk yeah, about that. Yeah, 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 <laughs> <laughs>
1: wow. All right. What's uh what's next? The executive summary.
2: <laughs> um, so oh. uh, this this essentially has covered uh, kind of what I've talked about. We're we're looking to buy these PDP assets. You know, we'll buy. Vertical production, but we'd rather own these maturing horizontals, just because I'd rather operate fewer wellbores. Mm-hmm. You know, for the same amount of production. Um, you know, we've we've established this. We're, we'll look at the Delaware. We're looking here in uh, the Midland Basin, and you know, we'll look at some stuff on the Central Basin platform. But the reality is, most of that is a lot of wellbores, vertical production. Yeah. We'd rather we'd rather do the horizontals. Yeah. If we go to the next page, I think. You know, the, the, what we talk about in terms of the the strengths of what we're doing is, again, we talked about the Henrys. These guys are just fabulous operators with a great reputation. And you look at our firm, we've been around the patch for quite a while. We know a lot of, of the folks that are capital providers. We've got technical resources on our side. Mm-hmm. And so we feel like we're just really well situated to be good buyers and operators of assets. And uh so we we put this thing together over the last six months, and you know we're now out looking to to put dollars to work. If we go to the next page. this there is just a map of go. this is just a map of where we've put deployed capital over you no know the last kidding. ten years as an asset manager, and uh, the yellow is where uh, the Henrys are operating. the gray is where they've operated and owned in the past. and my point here would be We've operated, in, or we've been involved in stuff in the Delaware. We've been involved in stuff in the Midland Basin. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of yellow and brown on that map. Ajax. You, yeah. are the one who got A-X? Uh, Ajax. We were involved in Ajax. So that was a uh, on the private equity side. We invested with with uh, the management that. team in oh, Kelso to to own those assets, Diamondback Bottom, a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Uh, we put money to work there. We're involved in Admiral Permian really? uh, along a with cool the folks at, at, at Aries. That's and just south
1: of the Simmerx guys.
2: That's yep. exactly right. Um and so, you know, this is kind of where we are. But what I'd tell you is the world isn't our oyster, but basically if it's in the Permian, it's our it's our oyster we feel comfortable as buyers kind of across both basins. And uh that's it, you know, so we're we're out buying pdps in the best basin in the world in our opinion and generating hopefully good returns with a a team we think can very effectively exploit those assets
1: Mm -hmm. that's fantastic that southern midland basin one is really interesting
2: yeah right by the ozona arch Uh that's right yep that's a man that's a, a property package that the henry's put together five or six years ago they um you know, they operated a piece, they sold a piece, and... Um, is that you know, not the... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, that's an example. That at $80 oil is core. At $50 oil, it's tier two, or mm-hmm. tier two and a half.
1: Until we get those mm-hmm. IPs
2: up. That's right. Yeah. Until you're, you know, geomechanic, geochemistry. yeah, to That's, right. that's <laughs> the, the combination. Make it all happen. Yeah.
1: That's the combination.
2: Yeah. Um, so, so that's kind of the drill down piece for me is, you know, we're... We're uh, focused on putting some capital to work in the basin while uh, everybody's a little nervous. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we plan to own these assets, you know, we could own them for 15 years. My expectation is the market will likely improve sometime (laughs) before the end of the next 15 years. And they'll be, the traditional buyers will come back. Mm -hmm. And as the Henrys have done and we've done, we'll we'll sell when these assets get fairly valued. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, right. we're we're excited to be doing it
1: really really exciting how many wellbores are in the current assets
2: um for the henrys i can't i can't tell you the answer i don't know their assets well enough to give you a, a good answer sure mm-hmm. um, they're you know they are how much? I was going to say they're a little. They're probably about ten thousand barrels a day in total today. Right on. Um, our expectation is if we put this five hundred million to work, we'll wind up buying at least initial production somewhere in that ten thousand barrel a day range as well.
1: Really? So you're yeah. going
2: to get twenty a day after all? all s- well, keep keep in mind that we've done this joint venture, so the Henrys run their oil company and and are drilling wells separately from our joint venture. So. The stuff they own, they continue to own. We're going to, the stuff we buy together, they'll operate and we'll own together. Right so, got, um, it. got it. You know, we, they got plenty on their plate. Right yeah. <laughs> on.
1: Is that southern uh, Midland stuff pretty, is that mature in the sense there's, there's horizontal wells down there or? There are. Okay. So, okay. okay. yeah, there have been a number kind of a
2: horizontal drills down there.
1: Is that where that EOG package
2: was? Wasn't there a, it was somewhere in, is it Crockett? Or I'm trying. Yes, there was a, there was an EOG package that Somewhere sold a year or two ago. Yeah, and I'm can't remember if it was Sequitur that bought that. Oh. Um, but but yeah, I mean, and of course, there's there are a lot of players all around all these assets. I mean, yeah, there's tons of folks. So the, you know, the the key is going to be for us. You have to have the right combination of, right, we're a willing buyer, but you got to have a willing seller, too. And uh, a big public company doesn't, quote unquote, need to sell anything. It's a function back to this optimizing issue right. yeah. of them optimizing their drilling program and, and uh, you wow. know, spending packages. So, you wow. know, we'll just ho- hopefully find the guys who are it's the right time for them to sell.
1: This is awesome. I, you're buying yourself time. That's my interpretation of this, and uh, and with time, things will drastically change. We're on the cusp. We're on this. Uh, we're on the, the the apex of something, and it's going to break through, and uh, and the industry is going to survive and and thrive from this point. So that's going to be fascinating to watch. We will be huge fans of that, and we'll be keeping you on our radar. Five years from now, we Five need to years. do another podcast. Let's go. Talk, <laughs> we'll
2: see what IPs are doing. Go, I'm telling you, and it's <laughs> going to be
1: write you it guys. Down. It's going to be you guys, which, which leads me to a, a a thought, and I wasn't sure if I was going to bring it up or not, but when uh, we have experience with the investment group that uh, that's saying, hey, we want quarterly reports. We want to know what's going on. And we, we do all this work every three months to put a package together and we all you know, finally put our heads together and it helps the team come together and do something, put a product out. Um, what uh, What is your expectations of a quarterly report from the technical side of, of something like Henry?
2: Yeah. Well, um, I'll answer it a little bit differently. I think... Uh, Monthly or quarterly reportings, it can be as straightforward or as onerous as you decide to make it, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it has to have some information content, but it shouldn't be consuming three weeks of mm-hmm. every month or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> two months of every quarter. Um, we tend to think, and I think the reality is that in the, in the oil and gas business, I'm not sure that technically things change dramatically every quarter, Mm-hmm. Um, right. So my view would be if I was thinking about that reporting process, what's changed, what's, what new information's informing right. our view, how is that changing what we're going to be doing for the next awesome. six or 12 or 18 months? Awesome. Do we, do I need a science report every quarter as a financial investor? Probably not. Um, do I need a science review once a year? probably Mm -hmm. tell me what you've learned definitely and how's it going to change what we're doing. So, um, I think, I think you've got to get, you've got to decide amongst your investor base and your technical folks, what those expectations are. Right. And, and then make sure it's useful. Great. Here's the technical report. If I don't do anything with it, it just used up a bunch of your time. Right. And, but I do think there's, it's good to have discipline, right? If you know you've got sure. to present a year-end review, well, you plan for that and you think about it. It makes you think about your business. You gotta be thinking about the business. So it all in I push it all toward, right how is it making us better?
1: Right on, right on. That's a really good opportunity. A good, a good uh, strong, I think, platform for people to, to work openly and be confident in themselves and come together, you're giving them that opportunity or maybe a comfortable setting for them to have the opportunity to be successful in that. It's not, it doesn't seem pressure driven. It doesn't seem like it's a, it's very aggressive approach. You're saying this is, we are obviously trying to get better. I want to understand at whatever level you personally want to understand it at, how are we, how are you guys all thinking we're going to get better? Mm-hmm. And and that's what we do every day. That's what we go to sleep thinking about, well, we're going to put that freaking well bore. Are going to go right. 45 <laughs> degrees <laughs> right. east and the north? Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and
2: and as financial types, I'd much rather you spend most of your time thinking about where the well bore goes versus how do I document this for, you know, a presentation? Sure. So you got to find the right balance.
1: Definitely. Definitely. Okay. I love that answer. I think, uh, does that spiral us right into the, uh, completion part of this show? I guess so. We have come to the completion segment of the PBE podcast with Mr. Dan Pickering. And sir, it's been, uh, it's been enlightening along the way. I had no idea what this was really going to be. And, uh, so thankful for Enturo to, to bring it up and, uh, To do this and put this together, man, I've learned so much. I think about it so much, and I'm going to be following what you guys are going to do because it's a success story in the making. Thank Mm. you. So with completions, we we think the future. Let's bring in kind of these big ideas and get kind of weird. Usually we do this at night, so we've all been drinking at this point, (laughs) (laughs) and it gets cool. Uh, But for the first one, the Permian Basin's history, just looking at the price curve of the Permian Basin. Let Not everything else, the drilling, the completions, the amount of oil, just anything of the last hundred years of the Permian Basin shows an unbelievable story. From the conception of the Permian to now, it's all over the place. And, the, and we're getting all these stories back on the PB podcast from people in different eras, 86 for you coming out of the undergrad. There's so much to that history, but now we're going to look that and say, okay, that was cool. What's the next hundred years look like, Dan Pickering? What's going to happen in regards to pick a topic? And pricing is going to be chaotic, and we know it's inconsistent, and maybe it's not flat. Or maybe some people say, no, it's like the housing market. It's going to be kind of a slow trend up, but overall, it's going to just be up. I mean, there's different concepts. What's the next hundred years the Permian looks like? We have enough reservoir for it.
2: Hundred years—that is a long, long <laughs> period of time. Um, your grandkids and your grandkids. Yeah, kids. exactly. Well, I—I I just have a, I have a seven-month-old baby. Wow! So she's okay, congratulations. Li- thank you very much. She's going to live a lot—a uh, lot of this. But um, <laughs> I think that that if we look back, what you see is a lot of the cycles over the last thirty or fifty years have been about supply. Mm -hmm. So demand has been pretty consistent, upward trajectory. You know, it grows 1% to 3% a year in line with global GDP, almost like clockwork. You go back the last almost 40 years, demand's down two of those 40 years. Wow. Global financial crisis. I think as you look forward, demand's going to be a bigger issue. I think that what what you're
3: going to see in well well, now it's a competing marketplace right now there's some well with alternative energy coming in granted it's not (coughs) as efficient Mm. yet Mm. Mm. but Mm. that's right Mm. and
2: and so i think that that this thing this thing meaning the oil business gets trickier over the next 25 years because Mm. demand is demand is going to be less certain because we may see You know, if they ever get batteries figured out, we're going to be seeing lots more guys driving around on battery power and a lot fewer on hydrocarbons. How soon is that? Don't have a clue. I I don't think it's the next two or three or four years. Sure. But it could be 25. And you better be thinking about managing it. How are you going to manage it? And so um, I think the good news for the Permian is that in a world that sees peak demand... That supply from here is going to be very, very competitive globally. And so if we went forward 50 years and demand's gone from peaks at 110 and falls to 75 or 60, I bet you the Permian's a big chunk of that 60 because it's simply very competitive today. I don't see it getting less competitive. Mm -hmm. Um, So... I think if we think longer term, demand is going to be an issue that people have to grapple with a lot more. It's going to create, I think there will be amazing opportunities to make money when the world gets scared that demand's rolling over. And the likelihood's going to be, in my opinion, that, that supply will fall faster than demand in that time period because folks will stop investing. They'll be too afraid and they won't realize that maybe demand falls 1% a year and supply could fall 5 And all of a sudden... You know, you might have ten million barrels fewer demand, and price could be one hundred and twenty instead of fifty. So, demand, I think, is something to really think about. Um, How the well changes between today and and then is going to be really interesting because if you think back seventy five years ago, I mean, we're drilling with cable tool rigs, Mm -hmm. and What's it going to look like 75 years from right. so? I mean, that's laser just, beams, man. Yeah, I'm thinking lasers. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Who knows? We may not drill wells. We may well. I, just, <laughs> who, <laughs> yeah, who knows? That's right. So, if I but if I think about it in the in the more reasonable long term, 25 sure. years, I think um, you're going to see the kind of changing geopolitical dynamics. If you think about what's happening in Saudi Arabia, they're the third largest producer in the world now us Russia then Saudi Saudi just IPO'd their oil company I mean that's basically all the wealth of of Saudi Arabia sits in the energy business they're gonna have to change as well and so I think we're gonna see different geopolitical dynamics why do you think they did that because I think I was talked about this this morning a little bit in my forecast breakfast The guy that runs Saudi Arabia, the head of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman, he's in his early 30s. I mean, Uh, you don't – Wow. You get – it's kind of like England, right? Elizabeth's been the queen for 50 years. This guy could be in the seat for 50 years. And so if you think forward that far, he's going to have to figure out how oil's not the only thing Saudi Arabia does. And so you start by creating a vehicle to monetize your your wealth, and so they IPO one percent to Saudi Arabia, so that over the next seventy five years they can sell another fifty or seventy five percent of it to the public. That's that's what I think they're trying to do. Whoa!
1: Take all that money and do alternative.
2: Well, take all that money and I mean they look at at what you've seen happen in Dubai, right? Which is the same kind of geography. Dubai is a financial center of the Middle East, mm-hmm. you know. How do you wean yourself off of a dependence mm-hmm. on hydrocarbons over the next 50 or 100 years? And so I think they'll try to develop other industries. So it's maybe a bit of a lesson, right, for if you're Exxon, what are you going to do over mm-hmm. the next Jeez. over the next five years? You know what you're going to do, grind away. What are you going to do over the next 50 or 75? Wow. You want that position? You want to be the head of Exxon? <laughs> well, but, but here's, <laughs> here's the big difference. The average CEO of Exxon is going to be in that seat for maybe ten years. Wow! This guy's going to be in the seat for 50. five to seven times that. Yeah. And so, I do think they think differently. And um, it's it's very hard if you're a CEO of a company you got to run it. But are you really thinking about fifty years? Right. Yeah. Probably right. not. Holy smokes! So, so that's kind of that's awesome. That that's not necessarily the. Permian stuff, but I think it's, right. a, it has, it's Im- impact. implications yeah. for the, the rest of the business. Um, I think we're going to, you know, we've got to manage this kind of climate issue. And I think that the industry is going to have to spend more time and effort helping the world understand the how the energy business fits on sustainability metrics on, you know, environmental, social, and governance issues, because today's young people, they care deeply about this stuff, whether or not the world's burning up and climate change is meaningful or not, Mm -hmm. they care about it. And so they're going to be, the investors of the future, That's right? right? And so you're going to have to figure out how to help educate them. That's right. Mm-hmm. And um, the industry in aggregate has probably been quite dismissive of this, but I don't think you're going to be able to be dismissive of it. And, and you're starting to see sustainability reports coming sure. out of most yeah. of the public companies. And and so the industry is going to have to do a better job of explaining the good they do in the world by producing hydrocarbons and wow. and how they think about you know all of the esg issues
1: you transition to the next question so flawlessly did you <laughs> i mean you me. just did it, that right off go. the top i mean the idea of of uh, of investing in the future which is what we're doing mm-hmm. that idea and that concept is all about the unspoken truth of the current professionals in place investing in the future of the next generation being the builders of that generation and then i take it one step further to get kind of weird is that uh if i ask an older generation person about the millennials you get a negative uh, they want everything fast instant gratification right (laughs) they don't want to work for it that's what i get majority i get the fact that the next generation that we have to invest in and the next generation that has to be successful is not really liked by the <laughs> generation before, but you guys built us. Not you guys, but the. you right. I'm speaking to them. It's, He's calling me an old guy. Yeah, it's the process. It's man, the process. Fire, so, the birthday comment in the beginning. And this. I'm sorry. Can I Can I offer you a claw? <laughs> Thank you. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> but it transitioned. Sorry to just keep going down that rabbit hole. It transitions to this next thing. When you are an investor and you're thinking about what you're investing in, you have all those options. In my opinion, there's kind of three main categories to it all. You're investing into people, you're investing into a process, and you're investing into the product, right? Those are the three main real targets of what am I investing in? I got to know those things. Is it a millennial thing about technology and something, what is it?
2: Those three points, just one by one, Mm -hmm. what is
1: it that you're investing
2: in? Yeah, so do the last one first. Product's pretty straightforward, which is if you're a hydrocarbon investor or an energy investor, if you're an oil and gas investor, that's pretty straightforward. I'd rather invest in oil first and gas second. There's Hmm. more cheap gas out there so I worry about supply hurting me mm-hmm. uh, in terms of price in gas more than I do in oil and so in between or you know NGLs or or products so I like oil better than I like gas um, if you're a so that's if you're an oil and gas investor sure mm-hmm. if you're a energy investor I think you have to start thinking about other forms of energy whether that's um, you know renewables, right. or you know electric technology, etc. Um, when you start doing that, you get pretty ventury pretty fast. It, it's higher volatility type stuff. We're not doing a lot of investing in in battery technology because we don't want donuts, right? We're we we do not want a zero, mm-hmm. but but there's a place for that, and so I think that the view of Energy is going to increasingly move from oil and gas toward you know the broader, bigger picture. Um, when I think about people, I think that that, despite the fact this is a capital-intensive business and most of your money is going into drilling wells and buying acreage and facilities and all of the hard asset stuff, um, man, hiring and people and culture is just so important and it gets really tricky small company small company the people issue is pretty easy you know everybody you know mm-hmm. who's getting it done everybody knows right, who's getting right. it done you've <laughs> got to have the guts to fire the bad guys and the and the balls to hire the you know the people you think are going to be really hard working good yeah. superstars if you're a really big company that's a machine and you just plug different people yep. into the machine for the most part. Sure. And so but when you're in between, are you you really have to be good to manage sort of the people issue when your company's bigger than bigger than the point where you know everyone by name and mm. their kids and all that stuff. <laughs> but smaller <laughs> than having a machine. Right. Yeah. And I don't think you can get away from so the culture has to be willing to, you know, how did we mess up? And so you don't, you know, if, you're, if you don't make mistakes, you're not working hard enough. But if you make mistakes, then there's a screw up somewhere and you got to figure out why it happened and not no. do it again. Um, and so you've got to encourage that and you got to hire good people and you got to hire the right amount of good people. And I mean, the people side of this is the hardest part mm-hmm. and probably bad people can get by for a while with really good assets, but not indefinitely because yeah. bad people will screw up good assets eventually. <laughs> um, then, then process was the, the last right. question or last point. Um, we tend to, you know, when we think about this and attack it from a process perspective, the real key is knowing what you're trying to accomplish. And, and so from when, when you're an investor – What's my return hurdle? How much risk am I willing to take? How much capital do I have? And so if I'm a, in our PDP strategy, we know we want to make 13%, 14 15%. That means we're going to be investing in lower risk assets, which means I'm never going to buy an island off the proceeds of these investments, but I'm never yeah. going to be in the poorhouse either. Right. Flip side is, do I want to take some more risk and be more aggressive? And if I do, I'd better get a three or four bagger on my investment because my risk of a zero is higher. Or my risk of losing money is higher. So I think understanding what you're trying to accomplish yeah. is really critical because that sort of sets the tone for everything else. That helps you say, no, I'm not going to do this project. Yes, I will do this project. So I think... You know, knowing yourself or knowing your strategy is, is key from a process perspective because it just helps you cull out the noise. If I'm trying to buy proven producing reserves in the Permian, I don't have to care about all the other basins and all the other types of assets. Then I really just got to hone in and be an expert yeah. on Permian PDPs. Right on. So I think, know what you're trying to do yeah. really helps improve your process.
1: That was fantastic. Fantastic explanation. You have anything off the top? The only thing that
3: I can one last question or I guess comment is are you guys at Pickering Energy looking at diversifying at the moment out of oil and gas, out of, you know, the resource play into more, you know, potentially you know, batteries, for example, because you brought up that example. But is that something that you're researching as well and just kind of waiting for an opportunity to invest? Or is that something that's just kind of out there right now?
2: Yeah, great, great question. So we had a big strategy session earlier this year. And what I told my guys is I said, I don't know what the world looks like in 10 years. I don't know what our company looks like in 10 years, but it can't look exactly the same as it looks today. Yeah the hard part about moving outside of our kind of core oil and gas focus has been we're really good smart guys on oil and gas and if we're going to move outside that we're going to have to have some different expertise which mm-hmm. means it's probably not Dan Pickering the 25 year, you know, energy analyst, oil and gas analyst, it's going to be somebody else that we bring on the team to help make us smart in those other areas. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to, we haven't put a lot of money to work in those areas because they've been pretty dangerous. Yeah. You've lost a ton of dough trying to <laughs> uh-huh. develop batteries or cellulosic ethanol or fill in the blank, fill in the blank. So we're absolutely thinking about what we do other than putting money to work in oil and gas. Yeah, But I, I want to do it, but I'm not going to do it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. and you got to have the right people to do it. Yeah. So it's a it's an evolution, not a step function, I mm-hmm. think from our perspective. And
3: I think that fits into exactly what you're doing here, right? You yeah. you have this model and it works as far as the financial standpoint, right? We we know we're going to make our money back. We're not buying that island right away, but once we're confident in this and we can hedge against it. That's right. Th- it's going to be a win. That's right. Yeah. And
2: and I think importantly at the This is one particular strategy. If we found a brilliant battery guy and felt like we had an edge, we could raise some capital with different return criteria and take some risks over there. So, you know, again, the beauty of, of what we do is that if an opportunity presents itself, you go attack it. The mm-hmm. key is to always be looking for those opportunities. Yeah. So you can't just, you can't be the same, doing the same things you were doing. If, in this business, if you're doing the same things you were doing three or four years ago, either you better do them a lot better, or you're going to be on the downhill side of what's happening in the industry. Right on. That.
1: I'll, I'll take a stab at re in that one. Please. <laughs> so you <laughs> have you must come up with a product that you yourself are confident in understanding and developing a competitive edge in understanding the product then you think about what people you have available to help run the process cuz the process is probably pretty fundamental whatever you end up doing your example was oil and gas it's probably a pretty fundamental process on oil and gas who uh, are the people that are going to run that process to sustain and develop the product? That's how I felt that uh, that was explained by you.
2: Yes, if I recage your recage Let's do it. We're, <laughs> um, we're locked. Here. Yes. <laughs> what I'd say is, keep your eyes open for areas that are opportunities and then you've got to attack them with the right assets, whether that's people, capital, you know, equipment, etc. And if you do that, what that says is you're never going to be the buggy whip guy because you're going to have said there's something going on in cars, and that doesn't mean you sold your buggy whip business immediately, but you started investing in garages or service <laughs> stations or something. <laughs> yeah. So cool. that's how I think we've got. I think that's how the industry needs to be thinking about things, particularly back to this long term issue. The The mom and pop oil and gas company that drills three wells a year today won't be able to do that 75 years from now. Mm -hmm. So what are they going to be doing?
1: Fantastic! All right, to end the completion segment of this show, sadly, oh,
3: my. I, I thought you were going to say to recage the recage. Oh <laughs> wait, <no,
1: we> <laughs> that'd be
2: this. that'd be really
1: good. No no. no, no, we're unlocking the cage right now. <laughs> we're getting out of this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, to end the completion segment, I'm I'm out. I am now fascinated with the next six months, eight months, a year, if you want to say. What is Dan Pickering doing in this next? 6 months you have shows on CNBC and I mean you're all over the place and you are clearly very good at articulating a successful uh, approach uh, and 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 then in the years we'll see the success but right now what is it are people all over I mean, what what do you what do you focus your time in the next 6 months
2: yeah so it's pretty easy it's it's making sure that we get this capital deployed successfully in the Permian. This is our most active investment strategy. And so finding oil and gas PDPs to buy in the Permian is kind of a key focus. Um, Every day, all the time we're trying to figure out what's happening in the business and where it's headed. And so uh, I always spend a little bit of time thinking about macro issues, what's going on with supply OPEC, all that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, thinking about so this is an area where we're focused on right now. What are we going to be focused on three years from now? Doing a little bit of think forward thinking, and uh, you know, taking ten or fifteen or twenty percent of my time trying to figure out what seeds to plant sure. for
1: the future. Are you going to conventions? Are you just sitting back and reading like Geo News and these these products online that are keep feeding you this information? Or are you out there banging on doors and?
2: talking people, shaking hands and
1: boots on the ground
2: yeah, for that. it's so, I'll give a shout out to my team, right? We've got 15 people at our company and the answer is it's a little bit of all that. It's amazing how much information you can access from your office, mm-hmm. but it's also amazing how hard it is to truly understand it if you're not talking to people mm-hmm. for yeah. that are <laughs> actually doing things. Yeah, And so, uh, we spend we spend a lot of time gathering information and you know grinding through uh, kind of the technical and evaluation side of of various deals. But you know the the things that really help identify opportunities are coming to Midland and meeting with folks. Conventions, conventions. Um, I'd much rather spend a day in Midland doing six meetings with guys who are out in the thick of it, then I would go into a convention and, you know, who do I bump into? Right. Yeah. right? I'd rather right. kind of control my destiny there. Right so it's, I think you can't get away from, doesn't matter how capital intensive business is. You gotta talk to people to right. figure it out. Yeah. Work your contacts. Yeah, that's right.
1: Wow. Knock on doors. Knock on doors, man. <laughs> Mr. Pickering, wow, what a show this was, man. It was an honor to share these microphones with you, and I am personally so excited for your future with uh, this Henry Investment and and everything you guys do here in the near future. We will be watching, the world will be watching, and we're rooting for you. Thank Thank you you so much. Enjoyed it. This was was a
2: pleasure. Yeah, enjoyed it. Mm -mm. (laughs)